Amen. Well, before I tell you guys um, the title for tonight, I have two quick stories for you uh, that I think illustrate the title. So the first one, a lot of students will um, be able to catch this drift. Um, how many of you ever heard of the, the, the most terrifying week of a student's life it's called finals week? Anybody heard of finals week? Get some amens for finals week. <laughs> so man, it was, uh, I was in college and um, it was a finals week. And for those of you who, who maybe never had a finals week or are unfamiliar with finals week, it's pretty much when all the gas stations sell out of all of their energy drinks. Um, you see students, you know, drinking tons of coffee. You're not going to find a spot in the coffee shop. They even usually open a little later than normal. And so it's just, man, it's to be truthful with you guys. Everybody don't study the way they should during the semester. And I was guilty of that. And we cramming it for finals week in one week. So that's the time and location this takes place. And I'm in a coffee shop with a friend of mine and it's quiet. Everybody's got their headphones in and we're studying just super in depth. And all of a sudden, bow, the door just flies open. And this lady, and she looked really angry, uh, walks in, you know, sits at a table, scoots a chair real loud. And man, it's really quiet. And people kind of give her a little look and she sits down and I don't know if this poor fellow was her boyfriend or, and I don't know what he did wrong, but he did something wrong. <laughs> and she went in on this guy and she, she kept her tone relatively low, except for a, a few excited points. And finally, somebody with some nerve looked at her and said, ma'am, we're trying to study here. Well, that was just an invitation for her to pick it up. She said, I'm going to let everybody hear what I got to say. So she started going at this poor fella. And so finally, the manager said, listen, ma'am, you know, you're going to have to either take this stuff outside or tone it down. Well, she got up furious. She walks up to the door and she's still going at it. And she turns around and she tells everybody, I'm going to pray for all y'all. And man, I remember like, I remember thinking, oh, my God, don't take me off that prayer list. I don't know what you're going to be praying. <laughs> don't pray for me. Whew. I mean, I want you to pray for me, but not like that. You know, you pray for all y'all. And so, who man, from my point of view, that isn't the best rep for prayer. Has anybody ever encountered like a similar situation to where, oh, man, somebody just threatened to pray for you? Um, or what about, what about like, have you ever encountered the gossipy way of prayer? Like, hey, look, I know, I know you know Joe, uh, but don't say nothing. But Joe's struggling with this, 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 and this and this. Just pray for him, though. Anybody ever encounter that one? Or what about the, uh, oh, I like, uh, the, the overly aggressive misfortune prayer. Like, somebody's angry at somebody and they pray like a, a tree falls on their nicest belongings or something. You know, whenever we're dealing with these different types of prayers, whether it be the threatening prayer or whether it be the, the, uh, aggressive prayer or wh whatever that is, man, I don't know about you guys, but that would make me super reluctant to ask for prayer. And so, um, you know, in a contrast to that situation, I thought, well, that's a bad example of prayer. Well, what, what would be a good example of prayer? Well, one of the good examples of prayer would be this one. So when I was about 16 years old, how many, how many 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds we have in here? A decent amount of numbers. Mr. Jimmy, 16 or 17 as well. <laughs> you keep confessing that, Mr. Jimmy. Flip, flip it, okay. So if you remember, I want you to think back, and maybe it's easier for you to remember this, maybe not, but think back for me 
um, to when you turned 16 or maybe it was 15 when you got your driver's license and man, you had the whole world at, at your fingertips. I mean, like it was the best feeling in the world. I got somebody that's experiencing that right now. It looks like, well, man, that was me and my friend Chase, my childhood best friend. We were pumped. We both have a birthday around the same time. And I know this isn't going to sound exciting to y'all, but it, we were pumped about it. We got to go to IHOP by ourselves for the first time ever. And that was the best pancakes I ever had in my life and the best orange juice I've had in my life. But while we're waiting, we got there. Man, it's taking forever to get a table. Lines out the door. We put our name down uh, to get a table. And we're sitting there. And this older guy who probably just turned 16 or 17 years old too, but he walked in the door. And uh, man, he, he looked right at us, made a beeline for us. And he just sat down and asked us a bunch of questions. And it was a genuine conversation. You know, he, he was very interested, you know, wanting to know how old we were and where we're going to school, what our plans were in life. And man, we just confided in this guy. And um, man, he was just a cool, cool fella. And finally, he just said, well, you know what, guys? Um, appreciate you sharing all that with me. Um, I'm going to head out, but I'm going to pray for you guys. And I just want to encourage you. He said, uh, God is going to do some great things in your life. And I wasn't serving the Lord at, at this time. I really wasn't uh, interested in things of God at this time. But I still remember that. And I have no clue who that man was to this day. But I wish I could run into him again. I wish I could tell him, hey, man, I don't know how much of that you meant or how much of those prayers you've been praying. But if you got a, a second to go to IHOP, man, I'd like to tell you some of the things that the Lord's done in my life and you've, you've helped with. Amen. And so I don't know about you, but do you have anybody in your life that you know is praying for you? Now you can you can think of right now. Yeah, I, I know this person. They pray for me all the time. I know this person. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Man, I, I mean, I do. Um, a couple people off the top of my, my mind is, is Miss Tina. I see Miss Tina. Man, she prays for me all the time. Uh, Miss Gail. Miss Gail prays for me all the time. Brother Earl Parfait. Some of these, some of these people who pray for me have texted me in the, the, the right moment I needed it to say, Hey, I'm just, just letting you know I'm praying for you. And they have no idea. Yeah, I needed to hear that right then. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? Best feeling in the world. And it's a good feeling when you receive it. And it's also a good feeling when you're the one to do it. And so for the rest of tonight, I want to talk about being that person of impact. I want to talk about being a person of prayer. And so I gotta, I gotta insert a disclaimer and, and sincerely humble myself here, uh, because I'm certainly not the poster child for a mighty man of prayer. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that, that I am, but like most of us, I have a lot of room to grow, uh, in my prayer life, but I am committed to growing in that. And so tonight I'm preaching to myself as well. Um, now I know prayer is such a broad topic. And so I just want to hit a couple of, of facets or a few focal points tonight. And I want to start with the least popular and honestly I feel is the most difficult area of prayer and that's praying for your enemies. Does anybody not have enemies in here? Everybody has enemies in here. All right, well, this will, this will pick up well. All right, so praying for your enemies. Now let's take our coffee shop uh, lady for example. Let's look at her for a moment. You know, remember what she said, I'm going to pray for all y'all, right? If we think about her words, I think those words, they represent our heart sometimes when it comes to people who maybe have offended us or maybe have done something wrong by us or maybe we would consider an enemy. I think her words are what our hearts 
are really speaking. And I'll elaborate on that. Now, what she said was, or she said with her mouth, isn't at all what the room felt. How many of you know that? The room didn't feel too good about that. The room didn't feel like, oh, praise the Lord. She's, she's praying for us. Um, her words were, I'm going to pray for you, but her heart was, I'm going to pray against you. I'm going to pray against you. And so, how many of you know there's a difference in praying for and praying against? Um, you know, as I was praying about this, I had this point, and Pastor Brandon says something on Sunday that I think applies here as well. He said, um, he said, God hears the worship of your heart way before he hears the worship of your mouth. God hears the worship of your heart. I believe that God hears the prayers of your heart way before he hears the prayers of, of your mouth. And so as I was marinating on that, the scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 came to my mind. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is Jesus talking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be like your heavenly father, pray for the people who persecute you. And we'll get into more of that in a little while as to why he's able to say something so so crazy. But um, but it's true. And I'm reading a book right now. And as I read that, it made me think of this book that I'm reading. The book is called Leadership and Self-Deception. Anybody in a leadership position, Man, I highly, I highly recommend this book. Some of you that know me, I'm a, I'm a nerd when it comes to, to business books or all that type of stuff. This is one of the best books that I've read when it comes to leadership in business or leadership in general. It's called Leadership and Self-Deception. And um, if you don't like your toes getting stepped on, don't read this book. But man, I'm still sore uh, from it. But I wanted to tell you like a little excerpt from the book. So... Talking about self-deception and a concept they call self-betrayal. So betraying yourself. He gives this example. There's a husband and there's a wife. And they're sleeping in bed and sound asleep. And they've got a newborn baby. And the newborn baby starts crying and the husband wakes up. Now, as soon as he wakes up, the first thought that he had in his mind was, man, I'm going to go and take care of our baby. I'm going to go put him back to sleep, feed him, change him, whatever needs to be done. I'm going to let my wife sleep. And he said, I'll do it in just a few minutes. And he sat there or laid there. And then finally he said, you know what? As I'm thinking, what's the deal? Why wouldn't my wife wake up yet? How hasn't she woken up yet? And so then he decided to chew on that initial thought for a second. And he thought, initially, there's no way she's still sleeping. There's no way my wife is still sleeping. This baby's getting louder and louder. And she's still sleeping. And then he says, man, I'm a good, I'm such a good dad. The fact that I would be willing to get up and go and tend to this baby. And then he said, and I'm a good husband. The fact that I'd be willing to let her keep sleeping and go and tend to this baby. And I got to get up at six in the morning and be at work at eight. She gets to stay here with the baby. Man, she's a faker. She's, there's no way she's sleeping. So he starts to think she's a faker. She's a bad wife. She's a bad mom. He starts to think, man, she's lazy. And he builds this case against his wife in his head. And he builds this case ab ab about himself in his head, saying, I'm a great dad. I'm a great father. I'm a hard worker. On and on and on. So finally, he gets up, takes care of the baby, goes to sleep, wakes up the next day. He's angry with his wife. Meanwhile, she's got no idea why this guy is angry. 
with his wife. And so one of the things that it talks about when it comes to self-betrayal is what I think Jesus is really alluding to here. She had no idea, and it's all because he betrayed himself. The definition of self-betrayal is this. Self-betrayal, inflating the other person's faults, so making them bigger than they are, inflating your own value, so making your value bigger than it is, inflating the value of reasons that justify why you're more important. So you don't just diminish their value and inflate yours. You provide some justification to why you're more important, and that leads to blame. That leads to blame. Self-betrayal is what happens when we allow unforgiveness and bitterness to set in and keep us from doing what Jesus commanded us to do, and that's pray for our enemies. I know nobody's been guilty of that in here, but man, I sure have, right? So Jesus teaches us the sincerity and severity of this truth in Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Now, I know it's not always a great idea to read a lot of scripture when you're, when you're preaching, but I'm going to read about 10 verses. So just, just hang with me here. I can't preach it better than, better than Jesus told the story. So I'm going I'm to just jump into it. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So he was going to sell this guy into slavery just to repay the debt. Then the servant fell on his knees before him. I would, I would have done that. Fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But then, but when the servant went out, he found out his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed them and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw that had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the first servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debts of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant, your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You know, we've all been that wicked servant at some point or another. That's the truth. And we'll all have another opportunity to be that wicked servant at some point or another. The Bible says that in this life you will have trials, and some of those trials are wrongdoings or unjust treatment. And sometimes it could be you doing the unjust treatment, and sometimes it could be received. But one thing that's promised is Jesus asked us to forgive and pray for those people who do it. And so I don't know about you, but how many of you feel convicted right now? That's usually not a question you ask people to raise their hands about, <laughs> but more or less ask yourself that. You know, um, man, I I can understand. You know. 
when I first read that, one time I thought, man, Jesus, how can you say that? And this scripture came to my mind. I think it was the Holy Spirit. Boom, just put it to my mind. He said, I can say that because I was pierced for your transgressions. I was crushed for your iniquities. The punishment that brought you peace was upon me. And by my wounds, I healed you. And he was talking in the context of his sin. Praise the Lord. So forgive your enemies and pray for them from a pure heart. And one time, years ago, Pastor Todd told me a nugget that really applies here. He said, Brady, blessings always follow the obedience of the word of God. Blessings always follow the obedience of the word of God. Secondly, the second little facet to pray for is pray for your unsurrendered friends and family. Unsurrendered friends and family who haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus yet. And why do I put it like that? Why don't I just say lost or something like that? Well, the reason I say that is sometimes, man, people can find a church and still not be surrendered. And so we might not think they're lost because they're here, but they might not be fully surrendered. Or maybe they've heard about God and they don't feel like they're lost, but there's a difference in praying a prayer and surrendering. And so that's why I'm saying pray for your unsurrendered family and friends. Has anybody ever run into like an old friend that you haven't seen in a while or maybe like an old family member that you haven't seen in a while and they got saved? Has that ever happened to anybody in here? Man, one time I got a phone call from a cousin of mine and he definitely wasn't saved. And he called me and said, dude, I need you to meet me at the lab as soon as you can. And that's a coffee shop in town. So I don't know what was going on. I went to the lab. I'll open the door. I'll walk in. He's sitting in the corner and he's just wide eyed looking at me. And I'm telling you, when I saw him, I knew he didn't have to say a word. I sat down. I said, hey, man, what's going on? He said, dude, you ever heard of getting saved? (laughs) I said, boy, have I? I said, but tell me more. (laughs) He got saved. That was so awesome. I was on a high. I called all our family. You're not going to believe what just happened to our cousin. I didn't ask him if I could tell that story, so I ain't saying his name, but um, you're never going to believe it. What about this? Have you ever brought a friend to church? Maybe that's you tonight, and you're super nervous, but you brought a friend to church, and at the end, the pastor invites people to give their life to Christ, and they do it. Have you ever done that, invited somebody? What a feeling. That happened to me with my best friend, my best friend Aaron. His mom's the reason I came to church, and then we started... He started coming with me to church, and I remember Pastor Todd doing an altar call, and my eyes closed tight, and I'm just praying that people would just get provoked to say, fine, I, I surrender, Lord. You know, I, I just was praying for that. And as soon as the altar call had begun, I'm looking to see who's out there, and I thought I saw Aaron walking down there. And so I looked to the side, and he's not there. Sure enough, lo and behold, there he is. He got saved, and I had been praying for that. And lastly, have you ever led somebody? To Christ. Has somebody ever said, like, hey, I want to know Jesus. What do I have to do? Have you ever gotten a chance to do that? I mean, what an exhilarating feeling. You know, I had a, a friend of mine as well who, man, they'd been coming to church and finally they said, I just don't know for sure. I just don't know for sure that I'm saved. I don't, I, how do you know for sure? Man, that's a, that's an easy answer right there. And so we just prayed and they received the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want more of that. I want more of that. You know, out of all the highlights in my Christian walk, which is all of six or seven years, I don't don't remember exactly, but the biggest highlights have been those moments when I got to see people that I really love come to know Jesus. That's been the biggest highlights of my life. Luke 10, 2 says this. He told them, Jesus saying this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Pray and ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you. And so four things, four takeaways that I see right off the top. Number one, the harvest, unsurrendered people, they all around us. They all around us. Number two, not many people are reaching them. Sounds so simple because it is. Number three, pray. And then number four, go. And so tonight I want to talk about the pray part of that. You know, we, we all have an Israel. And I, Paul had an Israel. I have an Israel. You guys have an Israel. And, and I'll, I'll elaborate on what that means. But you, you might not think you do, but everybody's got an Israel. Romans 10.1 says this, brothers, this is Paul talking, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul is saying, the cry of my heart, with everything in the world that I want is for Israel to be saved, with every, everything in me. So who's your Israel? Maybe it's the people at work. Maybe it's some people in your family. Maybe it's people at the gym, if you go to the gym. Maybe it's people you're hunting fish with. It could be a number of people, but who's, who's yours? You know, the first time I read this story, story, the verse, first time I read this verse, I had, I had just gotten saved, just got saved. And um, I had a bunch of friends who were in a fraternity. And man, they invited me to join. And man, I, I had just started to read where the Bible said, pray about everything. And so, I mean, I probably prayed, I don't know if you can pray too much, but I prayed about everything. Well, this wasn't exempt, and I prayed about this. And I felt the Lord give me a release to do that with a stipulation. I felt like the Lord told me, Brady, I want you to do everything you do in your life for me. And if you're willing to do that for me, then I, then I want you to do that. But if you, if you exalt yourself, I'll resist you. But if you humble yourself, I'll exalt you. And so it humbled me when he told me that. And I'm reading in Romans 10, and it says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And it spoke to me. My heart's desire for all my Pike brothers at the time is that they would be saved. I wanted all of them, and I still do. I want all of them to know Jesus. I want all of them to know Jesus. And, you know, as the story goes, I had no idea about any of that stuff. The last thing in the world I ever thought I would do would be to join a fraternity. That was never a thing for me. Um... But I did, and the Lord honored what he told me. He gave me platform after platform, platform of influence after platform of influence. And I was so blessed to be able to lead a life group or a Bible study in that fraternity. And so many people got to come and just talk about the Lord in an environment that most people wouldn't think that happens in. And it was so cool to see the raw hunger. And when I think about a harvest being plentiful, wow, that's a plentiful, that's a plentiful place right there. And so when I ask myself, why do I want all of my fraternity brothers to have a relationship with Jesus? In short, it's this. I love them. And I want them to experience something that will change their eternity. Um, but to elaborate a little bit more on my Israel. And as I'm doing this, I'm just trying to, 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 to breed what you would think about your Israel. But, you know, every single one of those guys, they want to be a good dad. Nobody's born and says, you know, I want to be a terrible dad, you know, and they want to be a good husband. Despite what some of you may think, no one's born wanting to be a bad husband, right? They want to be good workers. They want to be good friends. They want to be all those things. And, and I know this. I know for a fact they, they, they can be good. 
And they can even be really good, but they can't be great the way God sees great without the grace of God. Nobody can. Nobody can be the man that God created them to be or the woman that God created them to be if God's grace isn't operating in their life. And I also know this. I know that that hard times are going to come in their life. Some of them, some of the, the, some, I love them so much. Some of them have already lost parents. Some of them have lost brothers. Um, they've had hardships in their life. Jesus promises this, that. And it's it, when you get around an Israel, when you get around a big group of people that you start to love, that they don't know God, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, you start to notice there are certain things that aren't available. Because the Bible promises hardships that are going to come. But the world's way of addressing hardships is with logic and reason. And there are some things that you can't rationalize. You, you, can't, you can't reason away, like losing somebody prematurely or those types of things. But Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want them to have that. I want them to have that. And I want all of my unsurrendered friends and family to have that as well. My heart's cry and prayer for them is to know that they're surrendered to to Jesus and experiencing a relationship for him. So how do we pray for our Israel? How do you pray for the lost people in your life or the people who don't know Christ? Um, A few verses to put to that. Number one, pray that God would draw their hearts. Pray that God would draw their hearts. Everyone's born. Many of you have heard this phrase before. I never wanted to get overused because it's just so true and I don't know how else to say it, but everybody's born with a God-shaped hole in their heart. And the only thing that's going to fill that is Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to fill that is Jesus Christ. And people are going to search high and low to fill it until they find Jesus Christ. Then they're not going to search anymore. Then they're not going to search anymore. John 6, 4 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. So pray that the Lord draw them. The second thing, pray that God would remove anything that's hindering their revelation of who God is. Anything that's hindering that. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 says, Even if our gospel, the good news of Jesus, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you ever just shared Christ with somebody? Have you ever just shared a little bit about Jesus and what he means to you? to somebody and it seems like it's it's just going right over their heads and they're just not grabbing it. Maybe they haven't been drawn, but part of that's got to be because they've, got, they've been veiled. And so we got to pray that their minds would be unveiled. You know, Satan's blinded those minds, but God has given us authority in our prayers. And when we pray for specific people that are lost, that the, that the veil would be torn off of their eyes, there's power in that prayer. Even if it takes a little while, even if it takes longer than you thought, don't stop praying for them because there's power in that prayer. And not only do we have the authority to break that off of people, we've got the responsibility because if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else can do it. And third and lastly, pray pray for your Israel that they would increase in their knowledge and their relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 1.17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So pray for them. Pray for your Israel. And the third point, pray for your Christian friends and family. Your Christian friends and family. 
Now, I ask myself, why did I separate the two? Because they, de- they, they deal with different things. How many of you know when you become a Christian, you start having battles that you never had before? You start having temptations it seems like you never had before. And you start needing a different direction in prayer. And so, you know, before I continue, um, I found out a couple years ago when I started pastoring students that there are certain phrases and uh, certain words that aren't cool anymore. And then there are certain phrases and words that they are, they are pretty cool. And I, di- I realized I didn't know the cool ones, and I knew all the not cool ones. And so um, an example of that would be hashtag squad goals. Anybody know what that is? Hashtag squad goals. I think everybody over here knows what that is. Um, how many don't know what that is? It's all right. I'm not cool either. But um, I'll take care of it in a second. Um, so a squad. A squad's like your crew or your, your buddies, right? And a squad goal is like a bucket list of things that you do with your, your squad. So you have to start using that word now uh, or you won't be cool. And so uh, squad goals are like a bucket list of things. For example, like a beach trip or a, a, a canoe trip or, you know, it could get really crazy. Like, man, I know one guy, hashtag squad gold. I don't know how you say that in the plural, but hashtag squad goals. Uh, his, uh, him and all his buddies, they grew up together. They grew up playing ball together and they ended up buying houses all in the same neighborhood. They lived together and all the girl, they all married at the same time. That's pretty cool. I mean, bucket list stuff. That's just, that's an example of a squad goal. Well, let me stop right here before I get into the actual point of the message. And, and let me say for those of you who aren't cool anymore, you're back in the game. Now you're cool. Next time you go around one of your younger coworkers or younger family members, Pull out a little picture of a, a cool thing or cool event, show it to them, and then just lean over and say, hashtag squad goals. <laughs> Man, they going to be talking about you. So anyway, what, what if one of those squad goals was praying for each other? What if that was an actual squad goal? What if that was actually something that people shared a, a strong desire to do? Man, let's pray for each other. What if that was a squad goal? Well, you know, when I think of a, a squad goal, or a goal, a goal for my Christian brothers and sisters, a goal for my Christian friends. Man, one of my goals wasn't always to to put too much emphasis on prayer. I know that might sound weird, but I pray for people, but I didn't emphasize it. Um, and in one particular area, whenever I came on um, as a, as a youth pastor, man, um, you know, I knew I knew a few things for sure. Number one, I knew that God called me in a ministry. Um, I, there was no doubt in my mind. I knew it. And so I was being obedient to that. Uh, and the, the second thing I knew is I knew absolutely nothing about youth ministry. And I, I'm still not a pro, still learning, but I didn't know anything. And to be honest with you guys, it scared me to death. It scared me to death. You guys are pretty intimidating, y'all. Y'all all handsome and cute, but y'all are intimidating sometimes. But, um, but man, you know, I, I had to get alone with the Lord and I had to say, Lord, for those of you that, that know, a little bit about me. I started working really young. And so I was 13 when I started working in an oil field job. And all my friends were about 10 years older than me. And so um, I was really nervous because I didn't exactly grow up in church either. And so I didn't know what you did in a youth group. I, did, I, I didn't know anything about it. And so I, I'd go to the Lord and I'm thinking the Lord's fixing to give me this complete and, and total revelation, five-point plan. And all the Lord would tell me to do is invest in student leaders and students in prayer, invest in them in prayer. 
And I thought, man, surely I'm not hearing all that the Lord is asking me to do. Surely that can't, that can't really be it. And so I did. I started doing that. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. And I started noticing something. You know, everybody got along in Fusion. It's, that's never been a problem. Um, all the student leaders got along. That's never been a problem. But I started noticing that increase. I started noticing, man, the love amongst each other. It wasn't just camaraderie. It was, man, they started to really love each other. And not that they didn't love each other before, but it started to really grow. So much so that things would catch, catch my attention. And I found the more I'd invest in that prayer, the more appreciative and thankful I would get for that. And so I started to watch that not only in the leadership, but in the students. I started watching students who never really hung out with each other start hanging out together. You know, there's no cliques in, in our student group. And I, I love that. And that's only by prayer. I want to show you guys um, a, a, a picture. I'm scrolling through Instagram. Did you get that? No. OK, sorry. Um, well, anyway, I'm scrolling through Instagram. And uh, on our way to this GROW conference we went through last week, and this is just an example of things I've never asked them to do. I've, I've never demanded people hang out. I've never done any of that stuff. But just to watch relationship flourish as a result of prayer, I'm scrolling through Instagram, and I just see all of, all of my, my leaders, student leaders, they took a surprise beach trip for one of their birthdays to Orange Beach. Like, how cool is that? Man, I, I, I don't know if it's just me. But man, I have such a full heart when I see that. You know, as I saw that, I thought about this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil running on the head, running down on the beard. I don't have a beard, and so I can't identify with that. Um, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon. Man, I don't know if any of that sounds good to you guys. That might have been a cultural thing. But the most important part, for there, there the Lord bestows his blessings. So I'm going to just read what I have in bold. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessings. Man, I'm a, such a blessed person when I look at Fusion and when I look at the students because I get to watch what God is doing in them. I never anticipated that. Something that was so fearful for me two years ago has been the joy of my life. And it all started with, with God prompting me to pray and God answering a prayer. And then Paul experienced what I'm talking about. And Philippians chapter 1, I just started reading this this morning. He says, this is Paul talking. And I, and I can't think of a better way to describe what I'm talking about. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And so when I think about praying for a squad or a squad goal, now that we're caught up to what that is, verse 3, thank God, 
Thank God for the people, the Christian friends and family that you have surrounding you. What an honor it is to be able to be in unity with them and to be able to bear the burden of a Christian walk with those people around you. So the first thing to pray for is really it's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's thanking God for them. I I found that when you begin to thank God for them from your heart, your heart will overflow with thankfulness towards them. You ever walk by somebody and you can tell they appreciate you. Man, I, I feel that when I'm around certain people. And a lot of times it's people I know that pray for me. So thank God for them. Another way to pray for your squad or your, your group of friends is um, ask that God will continue to do a work in their lives. You know, one of the coolest things in the world is being able to be intentional about asking your squad or your, your crew or I feel so cheesy saying that um, what's going on in their life. The particulars, the details, you know, for an example, some of some of our crew or squad, um, they're changing jobs, you know, or man, it's so exciting to partner with people like that who they get a job opportunity and you get to pray for them. And, and as you pray for them, you want things to work out almost as bad as they do. And then or they're getting engaged and you get to watch that happen. You get to pray that in. What an honor. What an honor it is to do that. A few other ways to pray for your squad or your group of people, that they would grow in the love of God and people. It's great to be around loving, godly people. And so pray that for them. And then lastly, that they would grow in righteousness, that they would grow in righteousness. Now, maybe that is like your group of friends. When I say that, maybe you know exactly who that is. Maybe there's a certain group that comes to your mind as soon as I started talking about that. Um, Maybe it's friends in a life group. Maybe it's friends on a serve team here. Um, if you don't have that, if when I'm talking about that, if you would say, man, I, I don't know that I have a tight-knit group of friends that are, that are Christians, or I don't know that I have that camaraderie that you're talking about, man, that's, that's, really, that's why we, we have the growth track. You know, that's why we do things like serve teams, because we know that when you have things in common with somebody, you have common ground, you tend to bond and build relationships. And so our hope is that everybody that comes here would have a deeply knit relationship with other believers. And so if you don't have that, join a life group, join a serve team. And if you need some help connecting, come and see one of the pastors or or the info center. So in closing, why don't you guys stand with me? And there's one more I'm going to talk about as we stand. You know, like, like last time. You know, I said I had 14 points and I narrowed it down. I didn't have that many this time, but I had a lot of points and I did narrow it down. But one of them is something I feel like it's not the hardest thing to pray for. I just think sometimes it might be the most neglected thing. And that thing is, is praying for yourself. Um, I've heard people feel like, man, if I pray for myself, it feels like it's selfish. Or if I pray for myself, I feel like I'm not focusing enough on other people. Now, obviously, you want to pray for other people. You want to pray for your enemies. You want to pray for people who aren't saved. You want to pray for the people who are. You want to pray for your friends, your family. But, you know, if, if you get into that mindset and you neglect, you neglect praying for yourself, you're not going to be healthy to pray for all those other people. And so many times we could feel selfish for asking God for things, but, but he tells us to do that. He says pray about everything. He says don't worry, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to me. And so I just want to ask you right now, if you would just close your eyes and just make you a little, a little safe spot right there with the Lord. And I want, I want to just ask you a few questions. Number one, is there somebody 
that maybe you haven't prayed for, but you feel led you should pray for. Maybe it's an enemy, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just somebody that you feel like you should probably be praying for. Make a note of that. Make a mental note of that. Maybe maybe you, you don't have a squad or a crew or whatever is the right thing to say there. Think about that. Maybe that's something you desire, Christian friendships. God wants you to have that. But I want you to mostly in this moment just to think about what is it that you would want to say to God? If God was speaking to you right now and said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I want you just in this moment, I want you just to answer the Lord right there. Not what you think he can do for you, but what do you want me to do for you? He's not asking, what do you think I'm capable of doing? He's asking, what do you want me to do for you? I believe right now, you've got God's ear. You've always got God's ear. He's on the edge of his seat. He's waiting on you to talk with him. But let's let this be a holy moment between you and the Lord. Now, as people are doing that, you might say, man, at one point, you mentioned tonight that how, how, how am I sure? How can I be sure? How can I know for a fact that I have a relationship with Jesus? How can I know for a fact that I'm right with God? Well, the truth is you can know for a fact. And everybody's eyes are closed. Everybody's head is bowed. If that's you, if you would say, man, I want to know for sure. I do want to know for sure that I'm right with God. I do want a relationship with Jesus. I want the peace that you described. I want that stuff. If that's you, nobody's looking around. Just slip up your hand real fast. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you walk up here. I just want to pray for you. I see your hands. I see your hands. We'll just take another moment. I see your hand. Amen. The biggest deal in the world is for God to have, have you in his life. He loves you. I just want to lead everybody in a prayer. Those of you that raised your hands, we're all going to pray this with you. Let's pray it together. Lord Jesus, I love you. And I give you my life. I want to totally surrender to you. I know that I've sinned and I fall short of your heavenly standard. I don't want that anymore. I ask you forgive me and come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome deal. Well, if you just prayed that prayer, you just made the best decision of your life. A few hands went up. If you can, fill out a little card in the pew right in front of you. We're not going to hassle you. We're not going to come knock on your door. We're not going to send you any junk mail. We just want to get you plugged in, and we just want to pray for you. For the rest of you guys, I want to pray over you real quick. Lord Jesus, I just pray that if there's one thing we would take away tonight, God, is that we would be people of impact, people of prayer. Lord, I pray that you would guide us to pray in all the areas that we'll discuss tonight. Lord, I just pray that our relationship will continue to grow. God, that we will grow in relationship, not just with you, but with each other. And Lord, that we will grow in revelation of who you are to us and what you think about us. I speak a blessing over everybody here tonight, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. I love you guys. See y'all soon.